Hello and thank you for tuning into another episode of Alternative Frequencies. I'm Nadim Alkak and I'm joined today by the director of the Lebanese Center for Policy Studies, Sami Atallah, who is back for another episode. Sami, how are you? I'm doing very well, Nadim. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm well, I'm well. So, so it's been a pretty eventful last couple uh, of weeks, months, or even years, we could say. Uh, the most the most important news of this past week is the return of Saad al-Hariri, who has been uh, voted on by parliament as a new PM delegate. So we're going to be talking about his return, what this implies, but also going a little bit deeper into the French initiative, potential IMF deal, uh, what this all means for the future of the Lebanese system and its political elites. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm going to start by a very simple question to take your um, to start off this conversation, um, were you surprised at all by Hariri's return? We know that he was sidelined for almost a year since his resignation, uh, almost a week after the October 17 uprising started. So what do you make of his return? In fact, I'm not surprised. Um, Hariri, back in October 2019, actually, he gambled by resigning. Uh, if you remember, the political parties back then were still supportive of Hariri. Uh, what he tried to do is, in fact, improve his cards in the cabinet by resigning, hoping he would be reappointed and he would have a cabinet to his liking. Um, obviously, this did not happen because at the last minute, some political parties withdrew their support uh, in a very surprising manner. Uh, and we could talk about that. And since then, he was actually sidelined. But I think it was just about uh, time for him to actually come back to power. And I think Hariri used the French uh, plan and the French initi initiative uh, to ride the wave and serve as a savior for the political parties. And I think his um, TV uh, with Marcel Ghanem actually was a key turning point where actually he was talking to the political parties, asking them to give him one more chance to actually salvage the system and uh, he is so much willing to do so, and they voted him into power uh, last week, in fact. So do you think he was able to convince those political parties, or did they just have no other choice? I mean, we saw that a lot of those parties didn't actually elect or pick Hariri while they were voting in parliament. Um, so was it a matter of uh, them believing that Hariri could actually get this done, or was it just out of a lack of better options? They don't have options, really. At the end of the day, uh, Berri, I think, says it very, very well. You know, he captures it. He says, "Look, we don't have any other option. Uh, we need Hariri uh, to save the system and save us, really." And I mean, save the political parties. Now, I don't think the numbers really matter here because, at the end of the day, uh, we all know and knew that he would be actually um, appointed. I think all political parties knew that. I think political parties chose to play their cards in a way to show that they want Hariri, but some parties said we're not supportive, or had they known that Hariri would not be appointed or elected, they would have given hmm. their support to make sure he crosses uh, the finishing line of sort. Uh, so it's just another way where we see the theatrical uh, voting in Lebanon 
uh, taking place where political parties know in advance how they're going to vote. Uh, but we do see schisms within parties, by the way. You know, I think that's quite interesting. You know, uh, we, we see one member in Lebanese forces, for example, you know, voting for Hariri against the wishes of the party. Uh, we see in the Syrian Nationalist Party also, you know, how there was also schism between the members and the party itself and the head of the party and how they voted. We know Hezbollah that it didn't um, support or vote for Hariri, but clearly they supported mm -hmm. his uh, rise to the premiership. Uh, so all of that is to show that, look, come and save the system, come save us from the demise that we're facing, but they also want to show that they're actually reluctant you know, mm -hmm. to do that by not giving him enough seats to feel so much at ease in forming the government. Yeah, yeah, and I think there's also some political capital to gain by distancing themselves from Hariri in case uh, things don't go according to plan. True, um, very So true. I'd like to shift gears a little bit because uh, Hariri's been calling for a government made up of what he's calling independent mm -hmm. specialists. Um, in reality, I think what he wants are ministers that are really fully devoted to the French initi initiative. Uh, with all of its different elements from privatization to austerity. Um, do you expect Hariri to be able to form such a government? Uh, and what do you make of uh, this whole uh, attachment that he has to the label of independent technocrats or specialists? Yeah. I think Hariri would form a government unless something terribly goes wrong. Um, and he's been sort of uh, promoting himself um, uh, to be the prime minister who's going to save and is going to implement the French plan and he wants ministers who are independent or experts as they've called it. Um, it's actually problematic because what does it really to mean to be an expert and why do we need a government with expertise? Does this really mean that the previous governments did not know how to solve the problem? Is the problem technical? And we all know that the problem is not technical. We all know that the financial problem has major political implications. So clearly by selling it as if he is looking for a cabinet with experts, you know, is to me a ploy, you know what I mean, and selling to the donors particularly uh, that you know, he has, is coming to save the day with a new group, but it's almost like selling old wine in a new bottle. As they say, you know, look at us, this is a new group that's coming to save the country. This will not um, uh, sell well at home or domestically, because uh, people, what have been people asking for and the revolution has been asking for is not actually a, a group or a cabinet of expertise, but they're calling for the group of independent from the political parties. And Hariri now is actually conceding to the fact that these experts, so-called experts or independent, no matter how you want to uh, classify it, they're going to be actually appointed or nominated by the political parties. Mm -hmm. So again, this is just to show a new facade, new faces to actually deal with the international community, hoping they actually salvage Lebanon once again, and especially in how they did that for the last 20 years, and we could reflect on that in the conversation today. Um, but yeah, so so uh, so that's what we I think we expect a new, a new cabinet uh, that he will actually form. Uh, I don't know when, but I think that that's going to come uh, through probably. So basically, what you're saying is that he is likely to form a government that's going to be made up of the same profiles of people that were part of the Hassan Dieb 
government, correct? So people who are technically nominally independent from political parties, but that at the end are being appointed by these same parties. So there is a degree of allegiance there. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. And these people are going to be held accountable by these political parties, which fundamentally takes us to the uh, problem that the country has been suffering from and from the way um, the political parties and the cabinet actually been operating and governing the country through the same logic of you know, distribution of the spoils, of the cabinet positions, of the political parties. And this doesn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it never worked, frankly, you know what I mean, for the last 20 years, but we were able to avoid it or shove it under the carpet or the rug because we got so lucky in external events happening, we got geopolitical rants, we got mm. aids, we got support, you know, but now we ran out of all these uh, rents, mm. and I think now we're gonna have to face the music and the implosion that we're facing is actually right. exemplifies that in many ways. Right, um, so uh, I wanna talk a little bit about one of the points that uh, Hariri made while he appeared on Marcel Ghanem's show on MTV, you mentioned a bit, uh, his appearance earlier. Uh, during the show, he said that he wants all parties to be on board of the French initiative and the different reforms uh, it outlines. We know that parties like Hezbollah have been critical of certain elements of that program, mainly privatization. Um, do you see these issues being resolved amongst those different ruling parties before they form a government? or? Do you think there are risks of potential gridlocks emerging during the reform implementation process because they don't agree on how to handle different uh, portfolios or, or portfolios or different sectoral reforms? I think the political parties um, all seem to agree on the French plan, but as they say, the devil is in the details, right? Um, and one of the key aspects of the French plans is for Lebanon to actually strike a deal with the IMF. Now, here's the issue. All political parties, including Hezbollah, are not actually theoretically against a deal with the IMF, in my opinion. Yes, some of them say IMF is bad, IMF we will not accept it, but we actually saw uh, in the last 12 months, have they actually, you know, said we have no problem with the IMF as long as our sovereignty you know, remains intact or is not violated, as Hezbollah said that. Um, and also the question is, um, is, to what extent Hariri and the political parties are going to be able to dissolve the major factor that is hindering all the problems right now, which is the distribution of the losses, which it has accumulated over the last 20 years. These losses are tremendous. According to the company Lazard, which was hired by the Diab's government, it assessed the losses to be around $83 billion now. And it calls for the losses to be distributed you know what I mean, to all key parties, including the banks. The banking sector basically did not agree with this assessment and in fact fought it by coming up with its own plan, the plan by the ABL, the Association of the uh, Lebanese Banks, 
and it marketed it through the parliament or the parliamentary committee that was um, governed or led by uh, the MP Ibrahim Kanaan. And they were saying, well, we disagree with the Lazar plan because the losses, the way they're calculated, it actually magnifies the problem. But in fact, uh, while they're trying to just reduce the losses, the IMF actually agrees with the Lazar plan. And this is where the major schism is between the parliamentary committee and the banks. And by the way, the parliamentary committee is represented by the, all the key political parties, including the future movement, mm -hmm. Lebanese forces, uh, Hezbollah, and Amal, and the FPM. Mm -hmm. So here, what you don't, you don't have uh, Hadida and IMF together against everyone else. No, what you have here is all the political parties together against the Lazar plan, which is supported by, mm -hmm. um, by the IMF, and key people who resigned right now, uh, Alain Bifani, the General Director of the Ministry of Finance, uh, Henri Shawul, also who resigned as an advisor to the Minister of Finance, they were all pushing for this plan because they thought it was a fairer plan. Mm -hmm. Now, the question is, when Hariri comes and says, we want to strike a deal with the IMF, the big issue is how are we going to resolve these losses and how they're going to be calculated. And this is, to me, is one of the fundamental problems that we're going to face. Uh, now, is the IMF going to dilute its resistance or will governments, um, foreign governments provide support to Lebanon independent of the IMF to keep it afloat? Mm -hmm. This is the big issue that we're going to be facing now. But this uh, matter needs to be resolved because most governments have said, look, for Lebanon to actually resolve its problems or for Lebanon to be helped, we needed to go through an IMF program which, by the way, no matter how you square it, whether you are for or against IMF, we've reached a point, or in fact, the political parties has gotten us to a point where it becomes, or it is inevitable mm -hmm. to actually sign a deal with IMF. Why do I say inevitable? Because we really need the foreign currencies right. to actually be able to buy food, medicine, you know, fuel. Um, the system is so bankrupt Mm -hmm. that this is, has become essential uh, for our existence right now. Um, so now I want to see what Hariri's plan is. Will he and his cabinet concede to the IMF and strike mm -hmm. a deal so we can move forward? And in fact, he should, because in my opinion, the IMF plan is actually on some parts of it is better than the ABL or the bank's plan right. because it forces the banks to assume responsibility and assume the losses that they have incurred using depositors' money mm -hmm. and have been able to benefit so much for the last 20 years, you know, but now they, have, they want to socialize the cost, actually, mm -hmm. uh, that we're facing. Okay, so, so let's look a little bit deeper into that IMF slash Lazar uh, plan and I say Lazar in terms of the calculation of the losses. So assuming that uh, we sign an IMF deal, that the political parties concede and accept the fact that this is the magnitude of the losses, what does this mean for Lebanon's economic future? Is there any way a productive, equitable, sustainable economy can emerge from such a foundation? Or are there risks of falling back into the rentier, clientelistic, corrupt uh, practices that we've been accustomed to? 
Very good question, because I think this is really a, a key moment um, for Lebanon, because we know that the economic model that has been put in place since 1993, building on the history of the Lebanon's laissez-faire, has imploded. We need a new economic model that serves the people and puts citizens at the center of that. And what I mean by that is providing key services, good quality services, provide the infrastructure for the private sector, for the entrepreneurs to actually uh, blossom. Because here we often in Lebanon talk about the private sector, but and especially those who advocate that you know, we're a, you know, we're a market economy. In fact, we're not a market economy. We are an open economy to an extent. We are actually, our economy is full of oligopolies and monopolies. It doesn't promote competition. And in fact, that has been very, very problematic. Now, back to your question, what Lebanon needs now, just to build on what I just said before, we need to strike a deal with the IMF. We need to make sure that the system uh, is injected with liquidity. But we also need to negotiate with the IMF so we can actually minimize the cost on people. In fact, redistribute the losses in such a way that not only the banks take the share of the blame and the cost, but also other segments of society, particularly the richer segment. Hence, one can think of a wealth tax instead of putting tax or increasing VAT, for instance. And this requires, in fact, a very honest uh, team of economists and, and lawyers who are negotiating with the IMF, who are doing, running a lot of simulations on the economy and convincing the IMF that instead of imposing a tax that hurts the poorer segment of society, we could impose a tax on the richer segments and collect that money. This is what we really, really need. That's the kind of government we need. That's the kind of government that can help and salvage the country because otherwise what you're gonna end up with is an economic plan or a financial plan um, that is actually going to impoverish the population. One. Two, is going to lead a lot of people leaving the country and a wave of emigration. And then you're left with an, a poorly endowed economy. What I mean by that is that Lebanon's strength has always been its human capital. Now we're witnessing a major wave of emigration whereby if these people leave and continue to leave, the brain drain is going to be so huge and it's going to have, in my opinion, medium to long-term impact. So we end up with an economy that remains at what we call a poor or a bad equilibrium of low-skilled labor, you know, again running and surviving on this clientelistic sort of uh, needs by politicians. Are we going to go back to that and even a worse model? Mm. Or are we able to project Lebanon into a more productive economy that's actually more equitable, more competitive, you know, with better infrastructure. And we need to keep an eye on the regional changes right now in, 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 in the Arab world and how we want to actually play a role and productive role in these economies. Mm. All of that, in my opinion, is really key um, for this government. And I should say that negotiation 
in terms of the six month or the short term in terms of negotiation with the IMF should keep an eye on this medium term of what sort of endowment we need to maintain and improve to have this more productive economy that you're actually referring to. Right. Um, so if we uh, think of a scenario where we're going back to the same old clientelistic practices and corruption, um, is it even feasible from an institutional standpoint and considering the magnitude of this economic crisis for those parties to be able to maintain the same clientelistic channels that have allowed them to last for so long? Is this even something that they are able still to sustain under the current circumstances? Um, that's a question that I've been asking myself and I guess it's a bit of a difficult question because we can't really, really determine what are the different variables at play here, what kind of uh, uh, grants and aid are these parties getting, but what is your hunch on all of this? Yeah. Look, um, the system um, has actually survived uh, largely on uh, these trends that have been coming through into the economy um, and just very quickly, um, this money coming into the banking sector and the government that has been um, assuming a lot of debt, right? Uh, which means what? They've been spending more than collecting money. And, they're, and why are they spending so much money? It's not because they're building infrastructure for you and me. It's actually largely to also finance the salaries of the public sector that some of which or some of whom are going to be are working there are for clientelistic reasons. So that was one of the elements of the channels. Uh, now that has been hit, by the way, right? right. Um, we see these contracts coming from, the, the, from donors has always been sort of slowed down until certain um, reforms are made. Uh, but also what we're seeing right now, even though the rents have decreased and this money has decreased, but people are actually poorer, which means even now that they can still buy mm -hmm. the loyalty of these people at even a lower price. So what we'll see is that political parties that are maybe more organized or has more resources can and will be able to maintain that loyalty. And at the end of the day, in fact, you don't need a lot of people to maintain this loyalty and get elected mm. as long as they keep the other 50% or 60% of the population uh, not interested in politics. Right. So when election comes and if these people do, you can mm -hmm. just make sure they stay at home, you know what I mean? Uh, is the your constituency, if you're able to sort of provide that clientelistic plus another cheap way of getting them to vote for you is actually you know inside the sectarian discord sectarian fear we you know that people actually go to the ballots to actually vote for the leader who's actually upholding yeah. the constituencies it's, so, and so it's forth. not just the material like that's not absolutely. the only thing they need to tap on absolutely on. so um, one could see mm -hmm. an increase in the sectarian discourse for example in the elections you know whether it's an internal fear or an external fear right. and you know very much about this because we discussed it several times in yeah. our work here you know so so yeah i could see that happening uh, and that could actually to get them uh, elected but that's as i say and the burden remains on the 60% or whatever that number mm -hmm. is of the population and the ability to actually remain interested in politics and in elections. Yeah, yeah. And as you mentioned, also, there's a lot of variation from one party to the other. Some have more resources than others. Some have been more affected than others. One party that has been probably who has lost the most power over this past year is the Free Patriotic Movement. 
Um, some are even calling this return of Hariri as the end of the Ahad or mm. the Ahad that is embodied by the presidency of Michel Aoun and the ascension of Gibran Basil. Do you agree with this statement? And what do you think is the FPM and Gibran Basil's strategy as at the moment? Is he just going to be sidelined or will he be playing an active role in whether supporting or derailing Hariri's efforts? Sure. Let me take a stab at this because I think political parties um, will have all um, will be affected differently. Um, I think uh, the more organized parties uh, will be, and the ones with the resources such as Hezbollah will be probably relatively less affected um, than others. Um, I also see, for instance, um, Hezbollah and uh, possibly the Progressive Socialist uh, Party of Jumblad to be in relatively better shape than others. Uh, just because they're able to hold the ground uh, with their constituency. Um, future movement might have more problematic, uh, pr more problems in terms of constituency and Hariri uh, coming back to power that will give them sort of a boost in terms of uh, making sure that they don't lose as much as they have lost mm -hmm. in the last election. If, because right. if you recall, mm -hmm. they, they lost a lot of seats in the last mm -hmm. election. Uh, now, the FPM here is an interesting um, case because FPM actually did pretty well in the elections. It became the largest party. Mm -hmm. um, now we see the FPM um, has uh, lost a lot of seats or a lot, a lot of MPs have actually, or several MPs, let's just say, they've actually stepped out of the block. You know, and even some of them even voted mm -hmm. for Hariri. You know what I mean? Uh, those who are part of the bloc, um, and FPM uh, would definitely doesn't want to hold early elections because it probably will lose um, in, in that. So I think uh, they're very careful not to uh, embark on anything like that. Um, as for Basil, or Abel Basil before Basil, the, uh, just to talk about Dahad, I think the Dahad, as we call it is facing its last two years, right? And I think now it's at its weakest point. Um, the fact that uh, Aoun accepted Hariri to come and he had no choice to, and couldn't even block him from becoming prime minister, as we saw, he almost tried to do, either to block him or get a concession from him. Mm. Um, you see that his uh, days are numbered in terms of um, he's unable to actually do so. Uh, at the same time, they're in a very critical situation because um, after those two years, we're going to be having presidential election, and Jobran Basile thinks that he is a natural successor to, uh, to the president, uh, Michel Aoun. Uh, and I think that's going to be a really um, a tough sell now from today, as we see it today, because uh, Basid has lost ground um, again in the last uh, year or so, uh, not in terms of popularity because we know that the presidential election is not a popularity contest, mm -hmm. it's actually uh, something that political parties and MPs actually um, um, will have the voice uh, to do so. Uh, and I think his numbers are, don't look very good. You know, We don't know if he will be or not, I'm not going to speculate on that. But I think he has an uphill battle to bring himself back into the picture mm. uh, to be a serious a contender because he has also several competitors who are also sort of strategically putting themselves out there to actually take power from the FPM in, in two years' time. 
So for the time being, you see the FPM playing a marginal, marginal or being sidelined in this Hariri government uh, and this French initiative? I don't think they'll be sidelined. Uh, I think uh, Abbasil will be probably bargaining very hard um, in the formation of the government to make sure that he has um, a say in how it's formed or shaped and when it actually governs. Uh, because. Um, he needs to have that power because although Hariri has been selling it to be a six-month uh, government, um, we know very well that this may not be the case and right. it might go all the way to two years. Right. And once you hit the two years, you know, you're running into uh, three elections, right? Mm. You've got obviously the parliamentary elections, you've got the municipal elections, and you've got the presidential elections, right? Yeah. Um, so. Being in that government or having a say in how this government uh, uh, is formed and what sort of policies it puts is going to be key for uh, Basile to uh, plan his return mm -hmm. uh, to power. Um, so that's what's going to be so key. So the big question is, will they uh, let this government just sit for six months and then bring it down? That's not special decision. That's the decision of several parties on how they see it. Mm. If they wish to block Basile from coming uh, to power, and I mean the pres yeah. presidents, then they could keep this government until uh, right. two full years and prevent them that uh, privilege of becoming the president of the country. But this is too early um, uh, to judge because uh, two years is pretty far away from uh, from today. We're gonna many things could happen, right. but as of today, his cards are definitely weaker than a year ago. Yeah, yeah. And so on my final question, and very quickly, we can go up over this. Uh, what are your expectations from those next parliamentary elections? Can the October seventeen opposition and the groups that have emerged? help push for a fair electoral law? Because you've uh, written about this. Um, do you think it's a lost cause with these same parties to hope that they can implement some kind of electoral system uh, that opens way for new forms of political representation? Look, for the uh, October, sorry, for the parliamentary elections, um, I'm not, and I wouldn't bet that this government will put a better law that favors um, the October 17th revolution or will be a fairer uh, law that could be more competitive and allow these people with no voices to be represented. I don't think we should count on that at all. Mm -hmm. In fact, I would actually count on the fact that it's going to be a very tough battle. And I think the revolution, as we know, they have increased, by the way, the cost of governing in the country. They've increased the tension between and among political parties, but we all know they have not been able to actually have a say in the formation or the appointment of the prime minister or the formation of the cabinet. We know that. But hey, that's not news and we're not expecting that, frankly. So the question is, for them to play a, a, a key role, they need to prepare for any law. And to prepare for any law, actually, you need to mobilize. So I think instead of focusing on the law, on the electoral law, I think what these uh, movements should do is focus on the ground, focus on how, how to organize um, the, the, their constituency, how to make sure they actually get um, 
to the election uh, on the date and vote for them. This involves a lot of work, frankly. Mm -hmm. You know, involves working and creating or setting up your electoral machinery. Yes, you need a program, but you need much more than that. You need to mobilize them. You need to identify them. And you know how the electoral map in Lebanon is quite complicated in the mm -hmm. sense that people who actually vote in one area live in another area. Mm -hmm. So your ability to find out who are your actually constituency right. and who are the loyalists who will support the political established political party and those who are actually are what we call the swing voters right. that you should be tackling you know and sort of investing in so i would actually call for these new emerging political groups is to do this exercise and set the tone if i may obviously uh, to mobilize the voters on the right. day of election and by the way two years is not uh, too right. far away yeah and a and, uh, forthcoming study by lcps that we did on the campaigns of independent actors in 2018 one of the main takeaways and one of the main things that campaigners were telling us is that the one year that they had between one the electoral law was voted on and by the time the election came was nothing they didn't have enough time to organize True. so this is not while two years may seem far away the work has to start now and at the end of the day elections are just one of different tools for affecting political change uh, it's a tool that should be made use of by emerging groups as they organize across other dimensions, whether it's organizing at the neighborhood level, whether it's mm. thinking of solidarity networks in light of the economic and financial crisis. So there's a lot of things to keep in mind, and uh, it's definitely going to be a very decisive two years, but even in the short term, we're going to have to see what this Hadiri government, if it's formed, if it's able to implement any of these things. And if it's and the answers to many of the questions that you've been addressing from how are they going to estimate the losses? Uh, are we going to privatize our national assets? So there's a lot of things to keep in mind. On that note, I want to ask you if there's any final closing words that you'd like to share before uh, we end. No, but I think just on the elections, uh, I totally agree. I think uh, we all need to sort of um, think about the our theory of change. How do we make change in this country? And I think uh, at the end of the day, election is going to be a key entry point, uh, which means that if election is a key entry point and we cannot change the electoral law, one thing we can do is mobilize our voters, identify them, organize on neighborhood level to actually get people to actually vote for these alternative groups to actually make change. I think there's no way around this, um, short of a complete revolution. Uh, if that's our theory of change, then I think this is what should happen. And I think um, we should definitely, in my opinion, uh, also discuss these different studies that you actually just mentioned and I think we should have a podcast on that actually particularly on the findings that uh, that LCPS just produced and you co-authored with mm -hmm. our colleague uh, Georgia Dagger on on the campaign which I think is very very useful uh, all right yeah yeah and I think it's gonna become more relevant as we get closer to that two-year mark on that note, I will end here. Thank you, Sammy, for your time. Thank you, Nadim. It's been a pleasure. And thank you to the listeners for tuning in. We'll be back next week for a new episode. Until then, take care.